Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And Megan, let's shake our grigri real quick. I got it. I've got the raccoon bone. I have the kangaroo sack. Okay. And that's out of the way. And we have a special interview podcast. Uh, uh, blah, blah. We do a podcast. We do. That's what we're currently doing <laughs> right now. Um, an interview episode for you. And this is compelling. They, um, Jamie Collins is the publisher and author of the book that we're going to talk about today. She reached out to us earlier, like in May, and wanted to um, book a, an interview for her client, who is the, um, the survivor of this story. And Jamie worked with um, Abigail, is her name, Abigail Alvarado, to tell her story. And so that is who we are going to have on the podcast today. Jamie Collins, the right author and um, publisher of uh Abby's book that is going to release September 5th and we'll have them um talk, talk a that. little bit more so please everybody welcome Jamie and Abigail I'm Jamie Collins and I am the author of Abigail Alvarado's book um it's called I am Abigail it'll be released on September 5th um and it is the story of basically redemption and survival of a woman who's been through hell pretty much um so I'm honored to be sharing her story and I'm really happy to be here with you ladies today yeah we're so happy to have you how about you Abby and I am Abigail Alvarado I go by Abby um and Jamie helped me write my book to help other people out I'm a mom of six kids and that's it. All right. How did how I'm did shy, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. How did you two ladies meet? It's kind of an interesting story because it depends. Some people could view it as like God or luck or fate. It just kind of depends how you view it. But basically, um, a stranger whom I did not know saw me on 48 Hours with my first book, I Am Jessica. Um, and he read the book and loved it. And he knew Abby and Rudy um, and was potentially going to work with them on her story. Um, and at some point, he just decided that she would be better served with a female writer due to the sexual assault and just the nature of her story. Um, so he actually connected us together. So I'm in Indiana. She's in Texas. We never would have met in a million years. Um, so it's just kind of one of those cool synchronicity kind of things that happened for us to bring us together oh yes we love that I'm a very spiritual person so I especially really love that (laughs) we're so happy we are too good (laughs) good we're so happy to have you both here um like I said in the beginning we're a very casual true crime podcast so we try not to when we're doing um personal interviews we try not to sound like reporters and ask 
questions like reporters. So don't feel um, any sort of obligation to, you know, be kind of in that atmosphere. You can be as loosey-goosey as whatever you're comfortable with, we're comfortable with. Okay, awesome. So how, when did you guys start working together? Um, about three years ago in September. Oh, this has been a labor of love. And your your book mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, Abby's book is out when? September 5th, 5th. which okay. is a okay. Tuesday. Great. Perfect. Can you, Jamie, just kind of take uh, the listeners through what they can expect from Abby's book? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. I, <laughs> I know. I, I'm getting comfortable in my seat. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you it's like the biggest story that I've ever come across. And I truly mean that because it kind of delves into so many different areas. Um, Basically, Abby was adopted by her um, uncle and aunt when she was nine years old. Um, She had been removed from her biological mom's home as well as her older sister and younger brother due to neglect. Um, And their uncle ended up adopting him. And he he was a sergeant in the army. And then the aunt was a child care worker. So Abby moves to Hawaii where they're stationed and thinks like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a great life. Like yeah, we're in Hawaii. Hawaii. so cool because she had always lived in Texas. Um, and it was cool for a while. Um, saw a lot of cool things. Seemed to be a good family dynamic and everything. Excited to have, you know, a beautifully decorated bedroom and hot cooked meals and everything was great until it wasn't. Um, and she was at home alone with her uncle who adopted her one day and he basically started to inappropriately massage her just kind of her lower leg at first and then went up higher um and she attempted to tell her aunt that this had happened and she basically shut Abby down and was like I don't want to hear anything about this your uncle like he wouldn't do that um and so basically that began at the age of nine and then escalates and keeps happening just repeatedly because no one's there to help her and by the time Abby turns 13 she is raped by him for the first time um so obviously her first sexual experience of any kind and a very traumatic violent one um and then the craziest part for me is when Abby turns 15 they both the adoptive mom and dad sit her down in their bedroom and tell her the mom basically says, you know, I'm too old to have more kids. And so you're going to have our kids for us. Oh my! And so then it turns into basically depraved threesomes with mm. both of them for Abby. And she's forced into this. Right. Um, and all told, she ends up having three babies by him. The first one was her sophomore year of high school. She has another one. She's pregnant her senior year and graduates while she's pregnant. Um, and then like, I think three years later, she has her son. Um, so she's in this house of horrors basically for a total of about 16 years being abused the entire time in every way um and she does eventually escape but I'll leave that kind of more of a suspenseful element but the book has a huge romantic angle that was just something I wasn't expecting and it's kind of one of my favorite pieces (laughs) of this there's a true crime in court element there's just a lot going on in this book so it's it's going to be more story than they bargained for if they read the cover when they get into it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I cannot wait to read it. I had read a couple of articles. Um, I think Abby had done an interview with people and they did a nice, you know, article, um, there to kind of give a background of story, but it definitely left the reader wanting more. It was a, yeah, it was a brief overview. It was a good synopsis, but yeah, you definitely want more. Yeah. so. So I'm very excited to read her book. 
Yeah, and what I'm so excited about with this one is Abby and I got extremely close while working together on this. And so there really wasn't much of a boundary between the two of us. So mm-hmm. it's like she shared everything with me in such a deep, profound way that there's just so much heart and soul on the pages of this story. Like it's way deeper and it's like you truly are there experiencing all of this with her and seeing the things and hearing the things and thinking the things. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I think a very immersive experience for the reader on a journey with her basically with the book. And I, I might feel this way just because of the background of my job um, prior to the current position that I'm in. I was a child protective services worker. So I saw a lot of um, inner family sexual abuse. And I really, really just feel that this book is going to help so many people. They're going to be able to resonate with it. Um, older generations, when I say that, I mean, you know, 40s, mid thirties and forties, fifties and above. A lot of that happened and children were to be seen and not heard. And so there are so many people out there who I imagine will be able to resonate with this story and, and find courage and healing for themselves as well. Um, Because for the general audience listening, you may not realize how much familial sexual abuse really happens around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that is for sure. And it's interesting to me, you mentioned Jamie that, you know, in the beginning and, um, I don't know if you're using their real names or not. And so I'm just going to be respectful of that, but you know, her aunt just blatantly said, no, he wouldn't do that. Um, and then years later eventually becomes a a A part of it, a perpetrator Mm -hmm. of it. Um, was that something that just happened when she decided that she wanted more children and couldn't have them? Or was that something that she was really a part of all along? That's a question we would never, we will really never know. Okay. Yeah. In, in my heart, I feel that she knew what was going on, mm-hmm. but she just, she was so tied up in, in love didn't want to lose the one person that she thought loved her back yeah that that makes sense that loved her back and she didn't protect them or Mm -hmm. protect me so abby when you went to hawaii at first was it just you living in the in the home with your aunt and uncle no i had um i had a half brother and a half sister that got adopted with me okay Mm-hmm. And then a stepbrother that my aunt had with a previous husband or boyfriend. Okay. Were they older than you? Um, my stepbrother was a year older. My half-sister was, um, I think she's a year older can't even do the math right now and my half brother is younger than me do you believe that you're the only child that was targeted um by his i'm going to call it grooming behavior because when when it first started off that's kind of what it was um when you were about 13 i think nine nine i'm sorry when you were nine yes i believe i was the only one groomed into his bit okay 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I honestly, knowing what I know now, like think he was obsessed with her. Um, mm-hmm. There's like a, a story in the book where she has a flashback where the one of the first memories she has of him is at like age five or six. And it's like her and her mom and her siblings and then her aunt and uncle and they're at like a hotel swimming pool outside kind of thing. And um, brother and sister went with the mom back to the hotel room because they were tired and she stayed in the pool with the two of them. Mm-hmm. And the uncle's with her and playing with her in the water or whatever. And he looks at her and is like, you're so beautiful. Mm. You're so beautiful. I'm going to marry you one day. Mm. And as a little girl, she was like, what in the world? Like, what is he talking about? It doesn't make sense. Right. Like she didn't really think anything of it at the time, but looking back, I mean, it's kind of telling. Yeah, it's Absolutely. a weird thing to say to a five-year-old anyway. And that's how you would have processed it, Abby. You know, it's now you can look at it and go, no, that was, you know, yeah. awful. Yeah. Huge red flag yeah. right there. Yeah. But you wouldn't have known. Now I, it would be normal for a five-year-old to say, I love you so much. I'm going to marry you someday. Um, you know, my yeah. own kids wanted to marry me at one point in time, um, but <laughs> They're teenagers now. That has changed. Right. But I was going to say they're clearly not 17. Correct. <laughs> no. <laughs> Correct. And so, um, you know, I, the having an adult say something like that is a gigantic red flag. And actually, I think we covered a case where that is how the grooming um, first started at about that age is convincing the child that they were going to get married. Um it's always interesting to me. It doesn't matter how many sexual abuse cases that I come into professionally and or on this podcast. It never ceases to amaze me how textbook and similar grooming behaviors really are right down to the same kind of language that's used, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that we're doing a better job of making um, both kids and um, unassuming adults aware of them, but I think we still have a long um, way to go. Uh, right down to even like the concept of Santa Claus and not forcing a child to sit on a, a Santa Claus lap if they're not comfortable with it, right? Or and, to hug a relative they're not comfortable yes. with, or to make everybody give hugs and kisses before they leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, we're really um, coming in. I I imagine that those boundaries were not there for you as a young child, even before you were removed from your mother's care. Um, That is, it's also interesting to me that you, I know we try to do family placements as um, often as possible, but it's really interesting that you went all the way from Texas to Hawaii as your, your placement at first. Did you go directly to your aunt and uncle first? Yes. Okay. No, we we were in um in a shelter at first for mm-hmm. a couple of months. Okay. For a month or so, and then we ended up going to Hawaii with my uncle. Okay. Did they come and get you? Then. No, a social worker went and they a social worker went with us to fly over there. Okay. Okay. Wow. That is. That is crazy. I mean, it really is unusual. Yeah. Well, and the kids were excited about it because they got to stay together. Of course. Abby had described there's couples that come in to like foster kids or whatever, but it's like they come in wanting one little girl Mm -hmm. or one little boy. They don't come in wanting three. And so her sister, especially the older one, was very adamant that they weren't going to be split up and would kind of act up when people came in to interview them because she didn't want them to be split up. So for 
them, it seemed to be like this great, perfect answer, but obviously Mm -hmm. that's not how it turned out. Right. Unfortunately. And how were the other children treated in the home? Excuse me? How were your siblings treated in the home? They were, we were all treated very well, but they, they were able to do different things like going outside. They were able to do all that, hang out with friends. I remember my sister being able to talk to boys and everything, and I wasn't I wasn't able to do half the stuff that they were able to do. So they isolated so we all, you. Yes. Yeah, and her brother was younger, but it's like they hid behind what they dubbed traditional Mexican values, which are a true thing, but it's mm-hmm. like they hid behind them as a, a tool, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like the reason why Abby can't go do everything everybody else can do is traditional Mexican values. And your little brother has to protect over you and be everywhere and watch over you. And it was just like she was put in this situation where she was treated differently than the others. And I think the way it got explained and, I don't know that her siblings even really realized or noticed it. It was just like, oh, yeah, Abby has to be watched or she, you know, it was just she was treated different. But I don't think they ever maybe stopped to ask, like, why? Mm-hmm. Oh, and a lot of kids don't or they'll be given, um, you know, comments or situations of, well, she was naughty, so she can't go here. And they just they don't question adult authority no. on, you know, on topics like that quite often. Um, yeah, well, and it gets worse as she gets older, like a teenager, because then it's like as she starts getting pregnant, yes, they have all these cover stories where it's like she's just out sleeping with all these random guys okay. and getting random pregnant. I Meanwhile, she's ask. only slept with him, right. and it's like that part's just despicable to me that in her own mind and heart, she's having to like live with all these lies that aren't true, and it's really abuse, and it's just I can't imagine, like it broke my heart to be with her, like in her head processing all of this yeah were there ever any investigations when she um became pregnant from the assault at age 15 no but they were good liars and they had cover stories and told her exactly what to say so no okay Uh, what did you have to say I mean that is you are you the strongest woman alive Abby I mean my goodness girl I think so yeah (laughs) I think so I uh, personally, I don't think so. I just, <laughs> I survived to keep my kids alive mm-hmm. or not alive, but I, well, alive because they were threatened, their lives were threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, I survived to keep them alive and keep them from getting hurt the same way I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, I had to tell them while I was going to school, tell people at the school that, um, I slept with some random guy at school and or from another school or just some guy I met at the at the park or something. I and um, it was a one night thing and that's what I had okay. to tell with all three of my kids. Okay, I so, was. So, I think everybody that made me feel like if I was a slut or a hoe, mm-hmm. and I wasn't proud of it, but it was something I had to to say. Right, because you couldn't tell the truth. What kind of? Yeah, and it was a, a lot better than the truth. I mean, it, it, right. it, it it's just ter- a terrible situation for her to be in. I mean, she's like a sophomore in high school carrying his baby, having to make up lies that aren't true, that make her look bad. I mean, I just, 
I feel terrible about it. Absolutely. Well, and truly the lies, like you said, would have been way better than the actual, you know, truth. Was there, I, I just could imagine in a human psyche how you could almost, what is the word I want to disassociate in believe that, that lie yourself just for coping. Right. Um, Right. You know, that well, and and that would have been that would have been consensual, right? You know, we we're so we're so judgmental about women and sexuality now that how horrible was it for her if if it would have been true that you would have gone and had a one night stand with somebody, Abby? Now, I mean, that's that would at least would have been your choice, right? So, right. you know, when when you gave birth, then um, tell me about what tell me about your oldest child. Yes, My I'd oldest love to hear about your babies. <laughs> When I had my oldest child, um, I always, in the movies, when a mother gives birth, they hold their child for the first time, and they're crying, and they fall in love with the baby, with their kids. I didn't put myself in that situation, because I knew that my kids weren't going to be my kids. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. My kids grew up knowing me as their big sister. Mm -hmm. So when I first, when I had my first child, I held her, but I, I fell in love with her, but not like a mom should fall in love with her. Mm -hmm. You You had to protect yourself. (laughs) Yes. I had, I knew I had to protect myself in, in knowing that she wasn't really going to be mine. Mm -hmm. But I knew one day that, she's gonna be mine and mm-hmm. now she's mine and um, I'll protect my kids with everything I got well and it sounds like you have Abby absolutely um did they take over child rearing pretty right away then once you guys got back from the hospital and all of that can you speak a little bit about that yes um they had a crib in their bedroom. They woke up to see the baby. They said, my kids changed their diapers. They did the, they did the majority of the stuff. Like, okay. I only was able to do a little bit of it when they went out or went to work. I was just like the, the nanny, the housemaid. Okay. Yeah, and she really was like a maid. I mean, they treated her like a servant in that house. And I mean, Abby performed all chores, cooked all meals, like she did all the things. And it was to the point where when she's older, like in her 20s, she literally is bathing them, the aunt and uncle, like bathing them each night and washing their hair and clipping their toenails and then giving them each an hour and a half massage. Like this was part of her nightly duties before the other thing. Wow. So it's like. I mean, the level of abuse, it was just insane the way these people were with her. And it's interesting to me how it just continued to escalate. You know, it's almost like this power and control starts as one thing and then just grows year after year into piling on another form of abuse and then another form of abuse and right down to now we're bathing and clipping toenails and um you know that that in itself is just shocking enough <laughs> without all yeah. of the other you know aspects but it it does seem to just for people 
escalate over time. It's almost like this, uh, let, let's keep pushing these boundaries, see where we can get a person to their breaking point. Um, yeah. So at some point, I'm assuming your siblings, as they're growing up, they're leaving the house and, and you're still there, right? Yeah. I was the only one left when I had my, my third child. And how old were you when you had that child? I, you said 15, 17, and how old? Um, I'm trying to do the math right now. <laughs> oh, math's hard. I know. <laughs> I have to try to remember mine, too. You hired the wrong person for that kind of help, um, Bobby. Right. <laughs> we always say we are a judge and a social worker for a reason. That's there is right. no math, minimal math involved. No one has me do their taxes. <laughs> right. uh. I was, I want to say 20 something. Okay. In your... look. I'll flip through the book. That's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll assume early 20s then. So at this point you have, um, you have three kids. You're in your early 20s. Um, you are allowed any outside employment or anything, Abby, you are just completely their employee, basically. Yes. Completely isolated, just there in the house. Did you have any friends at all? No, I wasn't allowed to have no friends at all. So I was just cope to cope. Okay. And so there, you had no one to talk to. No. My next question, did your siblings think that these babies were from your one night, random one night stands with other men? I want to say yes, but in my head, I'm not sure. Yeah. I want, I want to say that they believed that I was having one night stands only because I don't want to know if they knew what was going on because that would break me. Sure, sure. Well, I just wondered if they were ever questioning why they were taking care of your, you know, your babies, (laughs) Um, if that had ever, you know, really come up or occurred to them. But it's hard. Those types of questions I realize are hard because kids are so egocentric that they're just living their life um, from their worldview and not really paying very close attention to what goes on around them um, a lot of the time. I, I have four teenage boys and there are several times where I realize that they're completely ob- oblivious to whatever their brother might be going through in, in any given time. So it could be a combination of that too, that they just didn't question it because it's how it was. Right. Yeah. Well, I think between, they probably brainwashed the whole family really on some mm-hmm. level, just with these stories they built around Abby. Mm-hmm. And then I think, too, they try to act like these great, this great couple who's helping Abby out of her own situation she's created with these random guys, right? Mm. Because she's now pregnant and they're taking care of these babies like these great parents. So yes. it's like I think they almost used it like, oh, aren't we great? Oh, too. yeah. Making themselves the heroes. We see yeah. that yeah. a lot. We see the perpetrators constantly try to flip the script and make them look like the heroes in their own right. um, victimization. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this is the, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Another thing was, is that I was in special ed my whole high school year. So they, they told people, oh, she's in special ed. She's, she's Mm. not capable of taking care of these kids on her own. She's not capable of, you know, um, doing things for them. So that's another thing that they put 
in people's heads that I wasn't capable to do anything like that as a mother. When truly... And that one really burns me up because they moved her as a child through so many different schools. Like, these are very transient people who move constantly. But it's like, how could she get good grades or keep up with the schooling? Like, it's literally impossible. So then it's like they also use that against her. Well, and not to mention the way that the brain copes with trauma that's been happening since her early childhood years. It is not infrequent for children that have went through severe trauma to not be able to concentrate on their studies and to have what we're our society deems as learning disabilities or whatever, when truly it's just the brain is in survival mode and can't focus on concepts like, you know, handing in your English paper or doing your it's math. It's not a priority. No, right. No, that's, a, that's a great point. It really that, is. So that, ex- exactly. I think that so far that's the thing that is, is really, really burning me about this as well, that she, the whole reason she was likely in those classes was because of their abuse to begin with and then yeah. to hold it against her as if that's why she couldn't care for babies. I, oh my gosh. Yeah, well then, I'm telling you, there's a CPS, there's like five CPS visits, but towards the end of it. Okay, so that was... Basically, they start... Yeah, they that was start what I was going to ask, like, how? They, I'm sorry. How how did CPS become involved? Like, were there were there a couple reports that were made by somebody? And I know those are often anonymous, but like, how how did CPS become involved? If if you guys know, there were numerous people reporting. I think Abby at one point had told a best friend that she did have in the apartments where they lived briefly about the actual abuse. It was the second person she ever told. Okay. Um, and begged her, "Don't tell anyone. Just between us." But like, she was. She had to tell someone right and the best friend ended up telling her mom and so the mom reported it right. then and cps intervened but again like i said as soon as lauren chevo got word of like cps on the tail they would literally move in the night oh yeah like, that night oh out, yeah gone yep mm-hmm. so, we know those cases towards <laughs> the end of the like toward the end of the cps stuff um between them playing, and Laura's a good talker, you can just tell from reading these reports, she's a great manipulator, but it's like they played a special ed card, and then they also play like, Abby's so promiscuous, and it's sleeping around with all these guys, we really have to keep an eye on Abby, and it's for her own mm-hmm. good, and so it's like, justifying the isolation. So irritating right. to me, mm-hmm. like offensive and irritating, but that's Absolutely. what they did. <laughs> Despicable, yes. Oh my goodness. Tell us then, I know that our listeners, I feel like we know our, our listener base really, really well. And they're going to want to hear about how your children are doing today. Today, my children are doing amazing. My oldest, my firstborn, she'll be graduating this year. Wow. Yes. Um, that's a scary one. <laughs> I know. We, know. <laughs> we just went through that. Yep. Megan and I both did. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you get you. I promise you get through it, but it is a very bittersweet time in life. We did. We both moved baby boys into college last week, we Abby. Did. So, yep. Oh, yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. And then my middle, my middle daughter, my second born, she is a sophomore in high school on the dance. Team. She made she made varsity on the dance oh, team. Uh, she is fantastic. She just she her light lights up when she's in her uniform and she's always practicing. Just she's just the 
a light in everybody's eyes and um so is they're all a light in everybody's eyes <laughs> um and then my my third child he is in seventh grade in middle school he's um he's joined the band so he's like playing the drums and he's in marching band and he's always practicing his his instruments because he has like two different instruments <laughs> they're doing amazing good I'm so so glad to hear that and I don't I don't know if you guys can answer the question because I, I know that this is in, in the book and it's the big cliffhanger but can you tell us anything about like the time frame when you were able to to leave or when you were saved or I'm, I'm not sure if you, if you guys can or want to talk about that but I am wondering, like, how old you were, how old the kids were. Um, I was, ooh, <laughs> I was. Poor age math. <laughs> yep, there we go. See, look what I keep doing. <laughs> um, it was about nine years ago. Okay. My, my youngest was three years old. Okay. Yeah, Abby was about 25. 25. Wow. 25 24. She might have. Yeah. And the kids were um, little, like eight, seven, and three, I believe. Or Wow. Yeah, they were still, uh, the, um, our son, he, he was three years old, like I said, and, um, we haven't really talked to him about this the situation, so he believes that my husband is his dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he'll tell us, "Mom, Dad, I have, I Dad, I have your eyes and I have your hands." <laughs> and we look at each other and like, "Oh crap! <laughs> <laughs> How are we gonna tell him when he gets older and finally understands?" But it's it's funny that I love it's not funny it's it's I love that he believes that my husband is his dad but um he my husband loves these kids like they're his own mm-hmm. and he does everything for them that's amazing and you have more you have more children correct yes I have one with my husband he is seven in second grade he is a smart kid he was in last year he was doing second grade in first grade oh amazing and then my husband has two daughters with his previous girlfriend um 12 years old and uh, she'll be 20 on the 5th. Oh, my. Okay. Wow. Six kids. And I can do the math. Yeah, that's six. Yes, yeah. That yeah. part, we, that part I can do, too. Kid math I can do all day right. long. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you're in, are you in, back in Texas? Did you, you were able to leave Hawaii? Yes, we're back in Texas. And do you, did yeah, you have family had, left? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You're fine. They had moved from Hawaii to Texas. Um so she's lived and been abused most of her life in Texas. They would just flee to various cities. So she's been in like Houston, San Antonio, Mission, okay. Laredo, 
Um, so CPS failed to follow her basically through the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. I know in the state of Michigan, even, you know, <laughs> in recent years, it can be very difficult to county by county to be able to get them to to pick up a case that, you know, we may or may not have thought they might have fled to that county. You know, it gets it gets so sticky. And I mean, I think that it's something that they're at least in the state of Michigan working on um, and collaborating more with county to county. But when you're operating on, I think they may have went here. um, It it makes things that much more complicated for sure. And moving cross states complicates it anymore with interstate compact and just yep. the things that you have to do to even be able to get an investigation in. And it's it's a tragedy because, as you know firsthand, um, Abby, it just it makes it worse. As soon as CPS comes, you're off and things – it's not like things get better while they're on the run. No. No. And, and I just – it upsets me that it took me so long to escape and the – I believe that the state of Texas failed me. We should have a better system. Mm -hmm. If a child's name has been in the system more than three times, a red flag should go up and Mm -hmm. you should, you know, find the the child or it should be a better system going on out there because there's multiple children getting hurt and abused and no one's helping. And Mm -hmm. that's why nobody's, speaks out because there's no one to help them and parents just see or parents lie up their butts and yeah. it's mm-hmm. very sad it's very sad for the children mm-hmm. you and hit the thanks. nail on the head with that one that. exactly and in abby's case like in one of the reports i mean sexual abuse was suspected and alleged and it was documented by cps's rtb reason to believe so it's oh, like wow they believe. They substantiate. Yeah. Substantiated. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Was there, um, you mentioned court cases. So was there at some point in time that you were uh, needing to testify at trial or how did that work? Yeah. I did testify at trial, at both trials. So um, they were I, criminally they charged? Were sentencing hearings. They, they were, were sentencing hearings. Yeah. Okay. So I just, that's what I was asking was there, there were criminal charges then on, on your aunt and uncle? Yes, there was. Okay. And you mentioned sentencing. So they obviously were convicted or took a plea to something. Is that also true? Yes. Yeah. You, she pled and then he was sentenced. I don't think he, he did not plead guilty. I don't think. I don't recall. Did he have to have a trial then? No, I think he did plead guilty. She okay. took an, what would be an Alford plea yes. in a lot of yeah. jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I think, pled regular guilty and did not lose the right to appeal where she could not appeal. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. On an Alford plea, that's that's very specific regarding it. And then did um, has he appealed, do you know? Um, he's, he's deceased. Okay. Oh. And he died on April Fool's Day, which we find very appropriate. <laughs> There's, you know, yeah. again, I sometimes laugh, karma, but... right? <laughs> Right. The yeah. World you take the works. victories you can. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So he died in prison, I'm assuming. Yes, he did. Okay. And is she still incarcerated? Yes, she is. All right. 
So was there any point that you had to go through um, when, when you were leaving the home that you had to go through any type of um, what we call child protective service cases with the kids? Like were they, were they attempting yeah. at any point in time to keep the children from you? No. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah, no. I had I had was going that was on my list uh, to ask as well. All of these kind of intricate questions from being yeah, you know, and I, in it. With that topic, I think they had brainwashed Abby to the point where she truly to God when she's having these children, especially number two and three, has been brainwashed to believe that if anyone ever finds out that they're his, that Abby will go to jail too. She really right. believed that. Oh, so like yeah. no way did she want anyone to know because she thinks she's gonna lose all of her kids. So and go to jail. Yeah, it's one self. of the best tactics for grooming and manipulation is that you're going to be you're in trouble if you tell. You're also going to be in trouble too. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't want to tell because he said that, and then I knew where I went was a foster home or a shelter, and you know that's what happens to kids that don't have a home; they go to a shelter. So I assumed that if I was to get arrested, my kids would go into a shelter and something could happen to them the way that it happened to me. So of course I just, I had to protect my kids. Absolutely. That was my protecting my kids. Yeah. And this guy ladies was a total psycho. I mean, just at the highest caliber, it's like he had poured gasoline around the house two different times and was mm-hmm. trying to light it on fire, like with the kids in it kind of thing. Oh, um, so so it's just we've the got level a lot more going on than, than just yeah, the gross. Yeah. Like the level of fear she had was like all time high and he had done enough to make her believe like that he would kill her or the kids and very well might or take the kids to Mexico if she ever got away. It's like she really was in fear. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Did he do those things in response to something? Or was it just random fear tactics? Like, was he angry at Abby? Was he angry at you for something when he did those things? He was just drinking. He was a mm. drunk, so okay, he would okay. drink and um, little things like me saying no or just in his head, he probably thought that I was going to leave or or tell somebody if I walked to the store, went to the store. Um, that's, that's what I feel was that he always thought that I was going to say something and he would just start doing these these tactics and and it worked i i saved oh yeah and like one of the later incidents of the gasoline pouring she had been dating her now husband but her boyfriend at the time that she met at the chapel where they had set her oldest daughter up as the miracle girl and like you know scamming the masses pretending she can cure cancer and all of this yeah um but basically he found out at some point they both knew that Abby was seeing Rudy and he was jealous of Rudy because she was his. Right. Mm -hmm, And so the gasoline pouring is like, Oh, you don't want to be with me. You want to be with him. And he's pouring the gas and crazy. Yeah. That makes sense. Tell me about Mm -hmm. the, tell me about the church then, if you can, how did, how did you all become involved in this? Um, my oldest was claimed to be a miracle child. Um, she was claimed to talk to the Virgin Mary and lay hands on people's forehead and cure them from cancer or 
um, any illnesses that they have. And it just, it grew and grew and grew so much that we ended up having a church, like a little chapel in our backyard. And hundreds of people would come and my oldest would lay hands on them. And they would pass the basket for money, of course. Of course. Of course. I was just going to say, and this, ladies and gentlemen, shows you just how charismatic they are with their manipulation. So imagine being a small child growing up in this environment and not knowing any better. Because it sounds like they've got, they had hundreds of people under their spell. Truly. Yeah. Abby, do you know do you know how he devised this idea? Like, when did he start proclaiming, or did they start proclaiming that your oldest was was this miracle child? When she when she was a, a I mean, I'm not sure. She was little. She was like, I want to say like seven or eight when she first started all this. Okay, and mm. it just progressed. Were they struggling for money? Was that the main motivation? Or did they just really attention seek? I think it was more attention seeking. Yeah. yeah and and, and like a possible YouTube deflection. Videos. I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah. There's like YouTube videos online of Laura with her daughter, Abby's daughter, like talking about it and like doing news interviews. And like the, the Texas news was all over the story at one point with the miracle girl. Okay. So oh, I think yeah. she loved being in the limelight. So it's like, here's these horrible abusers okay. that are not only hiding, they're like trying to get the media attention and be front and center in front of the whole community of people. Isn't that crazy? Cause it's hiding in, hiding plain, in plain sight. sight. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes yep. I feel like they do that because then when allegations come against no one them, will no believe one it. will believe them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just so gross. It's just ah, awful. And again, and still like so sometimes like s- amazing to me how similar perp- perpetrators across the world can be. You know, it's yep. just like, oh. So you, yeah. you it, mentioned your husband, it, or I'm sorry, you mentioned Abby's husband. Um, did you guys all go to the same church together? I mean, were you at least allowed out of the house to go to church? No. We we weren't allowed to do anything until I escaped. The church was in their backyard. Oh, that's yes. where the chapel was. Yeah. Chapel was in our backyard. So okay. he only came, I believe, three times, and that was it. Wow. You know, it truly is. We talked about synchronicities at the beginning. What a synchronicity that this was actually how you were able to meet your husband. Mm-hmm. I believe, I, and it's funny that she said that because when he walked up from the driveway towards the chapel, I was greeting people at the door. And when he was walking up, he, and it's, he's going to hate me for saying this, but he looked <laughs> like, he looked like an angel. He was in yeah. all freshly cut hair. He looked like an angel. So something in my head was like, Abby, this is the man that's going to help you out of your situation. You have to believe it. Just believe in it. And I was like, okay, head, I guess, if that's what you're telling me, you know. And 
Abby, you just gave me chills. I mean, that is incredible. He's my hero. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I, I, again, being a spiritual person, I imagine your souls recognized each other in that situation of just like, okay, yes, now is the time. He is going to help me. I, I know him. And so tell, I mean, what, what changes inside of you, Abby, to be able to overcome the fear? I mean, this is so much fear, not only the fear of him harming you, but also the the fear for your children's lives and what might happen or, and that you might go to jail. I mean, how does that shift inside of you happen? It, it was hard. It was a hard shift. Um, Me and my husband were for months going back and forth about, um, because I hadn't told him it's, it was a while before I actually told him what was going on. Sure. And always knew he always felt that there was something going on. And he's like, Hey, is there something you want to tell me? Are you okay? Um, just things like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. You know, it took some time. And then I was like, Hey, I got a secret. I got to tell you, but I'm just really terrified that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to like it and leave me because it happened so right. many times or not, but not believe me. Right. Right. And he's like, no, I'm here for you. Um, things changed. Um, he bought me a phone so I could hide it. Mm, right. Whenever I wanted to talk to him, I could call him on that phone or message each other. And that's how, that's how I knew that he was in it. So mm-hmm. then I started little by little telling him what was going on. And he goes, you know what? I had a feeling like <laughs> when I first saw you and you had that mommy tummy. And when I asked you about the kids, you were like, no, those aren't my kids. They're they're my mom's kids. And he looked at me funny and he was like, okay. But he would tell me I knew something was up. I felt it in my so that mm-hmm. something was wrong and he was like I'm here for you whenever you're ready you just call me up and I will help you and I go you can't just help me I have kids mm-hmm. they're coming with me no matter what right he goes I'm I'll get the kids too I'll <laughs> get them and I'll protect y'all and I go if I leave he's gonna he's gonna haunt us he's gonna come after us he's gonna kill us and he's like no he's not he's not gonna find us he put that um uh what is it called he put that um like motivation to get out like the yeah he helped give it sounds like he helped give you strength to overcome the fear and just know that there is there's more out there for you, and he is is willing to be a part of that for you. He believes you, and he had accepted it with no mm-hmm. judgment, too. And that's a special yeah. human being, mm-hmm. Abby. Mm-hmm. And and it and with with that said, he um, when we got married, people told him, "Hey, you know, you took her in with three kids. Like, <laughs> man, you're you're a real man." I. I would have never done that. I would have just told her, okay, you're out, you're safe. You go on with your way with your kids. And 
I'm going to go and do me. And he was like, no, we're, we're in love. Like, mm-hmm. I love those kids. They're my kids. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, you're a, you're a man for standing up and taking three kids in. He sounds like and an incredible he, human. He is your earth angel, Abby. You are so right. Yeah. At the same time, too, though, Abby, you deserve that to begin with. Everybody deserves to be loved like that by somebody. And, yeah, he's a hell of a man. But at the same time, I think that he recognized that you were a hell of a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, otherwise, again, it would have been easy. It would have been easy to save you and, and walk away, right? Okay, you're free. Go live yeah. your life. Um, that's that's yeah. not – you guys are supposed to be together. There was a reason for it. I believe in that 100%. I'm just so sitting, I'm literally she's, sitting I'm, here I'm smiling. I'm all tearing up. I, I need know, tissue over here. She's tearing up. I'm just smiling ear to ear, realizing that we are not a video podcast. We're audio only. <laughs> thank, thank goodness today, right? I have I'm some just, mascara yeah, leaking here. Right. Just so happy that it. he helped you find your strength. You know, you've always had strength, but actually help you know how strong that you were and be able to come out of this for your kids and be this beautiful family now it's just truly such a remarkable one of the most remarkable stories that we've ever covered um, on this podcast and I just cannot thank both of you enough for being willing to talk to us Um, Jamie is there anything that we haven't touched upon um, that you would like listeners to know about Abby's story about um, the book anything it's just a really big one (laughs) I don't even have the words and I'm a writer so it's just it really is a it's a journey and it's like a fully immersive experience like it's an experience Mm. not just a book Um, and so I think that it's the kind of book where people read it whether they can relate to it, whether they can't, and they just like to read this really compelling story. They're never going to forget this story Mm -hmm. once they've read it. Um, And I hope, we both hope that we can help a ton of people and that people who do feel trapped in this type of a situation, Mm -hmm. if they've told like their mom or whoever, their first trusted person, and that person didn't believe them, I just really hope that they can be brave enough and take away from her story that you can find other people who will help you. And especially at a school, if you tell someone at school, that's going to be your lifeline to potentially really get CPS to listen and intervene mm-hmm. on your situation if your family member's not believing you when you're trying to report it. So absolutely, I just really hope people can get out sooner than she did and live a more normal life than the one that she got to live as a child and a teenager and a woman in her 20s. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is someone who never got to have a boyfriend, never got to have friends, never went to a bar, never did anything mm-hmm. that the rest of us have, have done. So she is the most amazing person and an inspiration and her husband's amazing too. And so I just really hope people will read it because I think they're going to get so much out of her story. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I like that you touched upon reminding people that if you, whatever the situation is, it's not uncommon to not be believed by family first. Some family members just can't emotionally cope and go there. And so it's easier for them to just completely put up their defenses, say, no, this isn't really happening. It's not really true because they aren't 
they aren't trained the way that professionals are trained to psychologically handle information like that and know um well that's why jamie mentioned the school yes like that's we have exactly. more many covered many many uh, survivor and i call them resiliency cases where it's it's really the school tipping off cps mm-hmm. or making the report because something mm-hmm. doesn't feel right yep yep exactly so i'm really glad that you and beyond that i mean it's them being brave enough to outcry when cps comes to visit too so it's like tell yes. one person at school who really will believe you if no one else is and then be brave enough to admit to the CPS worker what is actually happening to yep. you. Yeah. Because yep. if you don't, you're just going to go back to your abusers that night. But if you you're brave it. enough to just one time outcry, and if the abuse is bad enough, they're going to get you help. Yep. Yeah. I can tell you from personal experience that there is nothing more frustrating than being a CPS worker, interviewing a child, knowing truly knowing at a soul level what is going on and knowing that that child is is in such fear of speaking up that they can't and we can't lead them we can't lead them with with leading questions and lead them into answers and that um those statements are so pivotal to an investigation um that it 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 really is part of the reason why I got out of it the other part um, you mentioned earlier about in, in talking about CPS and how they handle cases and um, being able to, I believe that you touched upon there were five CPS cases before reports, yeah. you know, anything ever actually changed and whatnot. And um, just drawing attention to what I like to remind people is that as a CPS worker, sometimes you really wade through half of your caseload is just false allegations that were made by a disgruntled ex, right? Or by um, someone who just is trying to get retribution on someone. And it's such a gross use of the system that was not designed for that. And so it can be very difficult to be able to balance you know all of that it would be a lot easier like abigail said when there is a a, there we need a better system where when a child's name is in the system more than three times or whatever it may be these are red flags how do we um we call it red screening you know how do we red screen them um and a lot of that falls back to on society of you know when you're mad at your ex-husband or ex-wife because she got a new or he got a new you know significant other you don't need to call cps every time that they your child comes home and mom's got a different boyfriend or whatever and because there are so many times that was frustrating for me as a cps worker there's so many times where i'm dealing with the same families and and there's not abuse going on what it what's an abuse is the parents using the children as tools essentially, Mm -hmm. to hurt the other parents. And it's collectively a whole system that needs help. Yeah, well, and Abby had shared with me probably about a month ago, I think there's legislation that they're working, pending on some level in Texas right now, where they're going to stop allowing anonymous reporting. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. I I don't know how I feel about it. I don't either. Me neither. I'm like, wow. Okay. Well, because I understand... I understand Ooh. why, but at the same time, I think that that's going to minimize the amount of reports that are made. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're really stuck between a rock and a hard place in making that decision. Because there are some people that won't, will not believe, they refuse to believe that the worker cannot tell the person who made the complaint, you know. It has um, to be ordered by the judge. I know that because yeah. I am one. Right. <laughs> so right. We, we have to order that it be disclosed. Um, 
Abby, you mentioned that you did testify or at sentencing. So I assume you mean that you, you gave a statement to, um, to the judge, to the court about, um, how they should be sentenced. Not about, um, uh, or just about, about what happened to you. It's about what happened to me. The, the, um, the prosecutors got up and asked me questions. Okay. Understand. How was how was your experience with that with the with the prosecution and with the with the court system at that sentencing phase? Uh, that was a scary hard time, but I had my husband by my side the whole time. We went through. We sat at every trial or every time Mary. we had to go to court. Um, I I was there every time. I didn't. I didn't let them get in my way from actually seeing them getting sentenced or getting the punishment. I wanted to see the judge. The um, I wanted me. I wanted to see myself getting my justice that I needed. So I was there, and I did did do an impact statement on both of them. Good. And you know, told on. I'm sorry. I did the impact statement in front of my uncle, and um, but that was a hard one because I he went in with salt and pepper hair, and a month later, I think, or week, maybe a month later, a week later, um, went to sit down in court, and I turned to my husband and I asked, "Hey." when are the prisoners coming in? And he's like, what do you mean? They did come in. I go, well, I don't see, you know, my uncle. And he goes, he's like, babe, he's sitting right there. Oh, and wow. He, he points to him and he totally all white hair did not look the same way. It shocked me. I started crying because, you know, he looked horrible and I wasn't crying because he looked horrible. I was crying because he was getting what he deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he looked like an ordinary man. Because even for me, when you go to Google and look at the pictures, you can see what she's talking about. It's like before, he's this scary monster, and you can just see it in the picture. And in court, he's just like this old, feeble, long, white-haired I, man that's like normal. He's just a normal man to her for wow. the first time. Good. You took the fight right out of him, Abby. Yeah. Yes, I did. And I believe he got what he deserved. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And it was the best judge. You guys, the judge was freaking amazing. I like, like hearing I that. Cry every time <laughs> I read the court part, I cry literally every time. But he was amazing, like poetically good. Yeah. Those yeah. are those and are I the good judges. For- those are my benchmates that I'm proud of because we can be disappointing. <laughs> we can. I mean, you you sit and, and you listen to victims, and I think that it's easy to separate um, your emotions from situations like that. And we've talked before about how I think the judges that have the most compassion and that aren't afraid to show emotion and even their own humanity when they're giving a judgment and making a decision like that are the best ones. Mm-hmm. So him being yeah. poetic and really just, you know, making an appropriate statement and that that was mm-hmm. what you had, who you had as a judge, Abby, there was a reason karma gave you that, mm-hmm. that particular judge as well. I believe so. And he said he was speaking for the community, that a symbolic oh. sentencing was in order. 
Oh, that's yes, amazing. I, I remember him um, when he was sentencing, he was like, this is the worst I've ever seen one person get abused yeah. more than a thousand times in I, 16 years. The worst I've ever seen. And this is the punishment you're going to get. And he sentenced them and um, court was over. He went to the back and came through the front where, where citizens come in. And he looks at me and I look at him and he goes, hi, Abigail, I'm the judge. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> he looks so different without your black coat. But yes, we do. Yes. We look like humans. You're, yep, you're yes. damn right he was the judge. <laughs> and I was like, hi. And he's like, gave me a hug. Aww. He's like, you're the bravest woman I've ever met. Like, I'm sorry that you went through that and no one paid attention and and actually helped and you know he's like I hope I gave them what they deserved and I was like you gave them everything they deserved and I'm happy that you sentenced them the way you did because they deserve it he wanted to make sure though that you felt like he had given them justice it was important for him to have that conversation with you Abby I really think so for his own soul to know that you're okay with what he was what he had done too. Um, yes, and I believe that was his last, um, his last case because he was retiring. Oh, oh my gosh, Abby, what seriously? A case to go with. Yeah, that's amazing. I yeah, I think wow. he's in private practice now. I don't know if he's full time or how much he works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you mind? Do you know what the sentences were? I do. We're okay sharing it. Um, she got 33 years, and he was sentenced to five life sentences plus 22 years. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a great sentence for him. Does she have a possibility yeah. of parole? I do not believe she does. Okay. I don't believe she does. Good. And there is a no contact order, obviously, in place with Abby, sure. with her, sure. right. and the kids as well. Okay. Good. Absolutely. Do you do you talk to any of your um your siblings, your half siblings, any family members, Abby? I have um I talked to my sister here and there. I lost in contact with my brother. We uh ended up getting in arguments too much about the situation. So mm -hmm. I just told him that I didn't want him around anymore. Sure. Um but I do have a best friend that I've known for at least 20 years and he's been my rock. Oh, that's amazing. He's been my rock and she's been with me. And she's my sister. I call her my sister. Mm -hmm. She's my best friend and, you know, she's always there when I need her. Yeah, sometimes but, family is the one that you choose, right? Yes, and and that's all I have is her, Ribby, and my sister. Um, I met my dad about, it's been a while. I met my dad. I knew him for a year and a half, and um, he passed away. And I used to talk to my mom, my biological mom, mm -hmm. and um, uh, we lost in contact, but I want to try to you know get back in contact with her eventually mm -hmm. 
because I'm a family girl, I have to have family around. Yeah. So, but, you know, and then I have my husband's family that are my support system as well. And they're always here with me. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and my, I, my, knowing how family oriented you are, I think that it is really important to just acknowledge how difficult it had to have been to set the boundaries with your brother to say, you know what, you're really not good for me and for, for my energy and what I'm trying to, to the life I'm trying to build. And so I imagine that was very difficult for you to have to, to do and go through as well, but very necessary, you know, you're, you've now, you said nine years out of building the life that you've always deserved to have. So I'm I'm just so honored to be a very small snippet here and to help you with your first book and and help promote it because this is it takes I don't think people realize the kind of guts that it takes to put your life story out there for the public to read and fear get over fears of being seen and of judgment and questions like well why didn't you leave sooner and all the things that normal humans just don't understand because they have been blessed with a very typical safe life right, right? and so but but those aren't the people that you're that you're you know wrote this book for and and did this for can you tell us a little bit about um has it been healing to be able to put your story into ink it's been it's been hard on me a little bit yeah mm-hmm. um scary because um it's been scary because i don't want my my family to read it and be like this is this is not what i want the world to know but mm. it's part of my story mm-hmm. and truth i don't want to hide the truth mm-hmm. I want to be able to tell the truth to help other women, men, kids like me. I want to be able to help them survive as I survived. Um, and you can't do that by sugarcoating the reality of what happened. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been a hard, bumpy road, mm-hmm. but. Like I said, it's the truth. It's my story. I have the right to tell it the way I want to tell it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to hear the truth, don't read my book. Right, exactly. Well, and furthermore, I would point out that you also didn't want this to be your truth, but it was. So as much as maybe some of your family doesn't want to read it or, or know the truth either, well, hey, guess what? <laughs> you know, sometimes truth hurts. And so it's, but this is so important for other people. And I really, I really don't think that you're going to get the backlash because your intentions for this book are so pure to help other people, Abby, that you're going, you're about to be inundated with so much love from people who are going to be just in awe of who you are as a person and your bravery to tell your story, but then also the healing journey that you're going to help start for other people as well. Um, I can just, I can just feel that it's going to be really big for you and helpful as at the same time for you to understand your part and in, in maybe why you went through this to help others. I mean, truly, you know, along those lines, I have a question for you, Jamie. What, what called you to be the type of writer who, who tells people stories like this? 
you, you're in a really interesting niche in terms of these kind of who I am books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not something I set out to do per se. Um, my first book was a close family story. It was my cousin's story. Um, she was away at a sleepover for the weekend when she was nine, her entire family was murdered. Oh. Um, so her mom, stepdad, who was a, a pastor and then her two little sisters who were six and eight, um, it was the darkest thing that had ever happened to our family. Um, and I was at the funeral. We were some of the only kids there. It was just a very, very heavy, heavy, horrible room to be in. And as difficult as that experience was being there, I believe I was put there for a reason. And it's because 30 years later, we would tell her story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Abby and I, like I said, met serendipitously mm-hmm. weren't supposed to know each other but somehow had that connection and it's like once I heard her story and just how remarkable it was and how much had happened to her and I I believed meeting her that we would be able to really dive deep into it and to really share it in a real true honest way and if she was down to do that then I was down to do it too um, and so here we are with my second book. Um, so both I am books, I am Jessica and I am Abigail. And I just feel like kind of, I'm in my own lane with mm-hmm. this, but I never set out to create the lane. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happened. And I think I am being used and put mm-hmm. in places where I can help people and where I can shine light to places and where I can help people who otherwise might never tell their story or definitely not in the same way. Mm-hmm to put it into paper and to get it out into the world and to, to just try to do so much good and to turn something good out of something that was so horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, again, God, luck, fate, I don't know. I think it's some combination of all three probably, Mm -hmm. but I love writing and I love working with survivors. And I, I tell Abby all the time, like I get just as much personally out of this, from having helped her as she does from doing it too. Like it's the most mutually beneficial, cool experience mm-hmm. from my side of things too. So That's amazing, Jamie. I hope there are a lot I more. I think this is I am why books. I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Because it's, I don't know. it's a I true like gift. The next one. If I write another one, I think it's going to be about a man, and I haven't met him yet, but that's just my feeling, is that there's a third book, it'll be about yep. a man. You can tell me if I'm find right you. wrong. Someday. He's going to find you. <laughs> yep. I, I agree. I agree. And now we're going to have to have you on a second time to talk about the I Am Jessica book. Totally. It was like, I know I need to, I need to know about that one too. If, if, if yep. you're willing, Jamie, we'd love to we have you on again. You're going to be crying with that one. Too. That's okay. Yeah. Don't worry. I will cry with you. Yeah. <laughs> Megan has spent the last 10 minutes crying silently over here. So. It just tears leak sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I said, some people Aww. don't think that judges are allowed to have emotions, but I've, I've worked in this uh, neglect and abuse and with um, victims and survivors my entire career. Mm-hmm. And so this, I've made a natural move now to, to being a, a, a judge. And I'll tell you that as nice as it is to not have to sit through and, and, and listen to everybody's stories all day long, that's what I liked. That's what I was good at, mm-hmm. um, you know, prosecuting those cases. I was a prosecutor for a, a, a lot of years. So do you guys have parting words, anything for our listeners that you'd like them to know? Abby? Um, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Um, the help is out there. Speak out is my main, it's my main thing to tell anybody listening. Anything's going on with you, speak out. 
somebody is bound to hear you. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to be your rock. They're going to help you out. Beautiful. There's yeah. a Rudy out there for everyone. There's a Rudy out there. Mm-hmm. Jamie, anything from you? I would just echo everything Abby said. And I think if people can just find like the courage to speak out, like I said, in the right ways to the right people, if it's a school and to make the outcry that first time when CPS comes to visit, someone will try to help them out of their situation. And I just, I admire Abby and all survivors who are willing to step forward and share their stories um, because it's just, especially when we're talking about sexual assault, it's such Mm -hmm. a deeply personal Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, for us to sit and talk about our sex life right now on this podcast would be terrifying, right? But Mm -hmm. here's Abby basically doing exactly that about an abusive situation. Absolutely. Um, So I just, I hope this brings so much light to so many people and that this is the good out of what she's been through. This Mm -hmm. is, Abby once told me, like, I think, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think this is, what she's doing with what's happened to her. Yep. I couldn't and agree. So I admire more. that. And yeah. I admire her. She's amazing. Yes. I do. I do too. And I've only, you know, met her an hour ago. So I, I, I agree. I'm really, really looking forward to reading this. And um, if you guys will send me a link, I will put it in our show notes where they can direct, our listeners could directly purchase um, her story. So okay. that would be wonderful. And just thank you so very much for your time today. Um, I know that our listeners are really going to connect with your beautiful souls that I we're connecting with just over. Yeah, I just I, I feel honored that you took the time to, yes. to talk to us today. And thank our listeners you. will appreciate you as well. Mm-hmm. So thank well, you thank so you. much. We're yes. honored to be here. It's been yeah. fun. It's, it's been fun talking to both you ladies. Good. Good. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye-bye. Okay. Wow. What a profound story. Heavy. Heavy. You know, and and just, we (gasps) we didn't go as as in-depth as we sometimes do, and a lot of that's because we... We want you to read the book. Yeah. I want to read the book. I know. I can't. I so doing an interview pre, uh, pre-reading the, mm-hmm. the actual, her story. Um, so It's a different, that's a different twist for us. We've never really done it in this kind of Order. way before, um, but I like it. I like the intrigue. I mean, we obviously know the, the skeleton of, of it, right? Yeah. We've got the outline of the story, but I am really excited to hear Jamie's beautiful talent for bringing the story to life. Absolutely. Because um, just the way that she's spoken, you, I, f- I feel like you can tell that she can write. Would we like to do a brain bath? South Lake PD always has some interesting ones, right? Yes, they do. Have you seen the one from back in March about the makeup muggers? I don't know if I have. Do you have it pulled up to read I do, to us? I do. do. So there's, of course, photographs of these lovely women. And it says, help us identify these makeup muggers. On Saturday, February 25th, these two thieves entered our coals at 3001 East Highway 114. That's right. You already knew by the pictures, but it's time for coals cams. Jazz hands. (laughs) That'll set the tone of this post right here. The dastardly duo went straight to the Sephora part of the store stood side by side and went absolutely gaga over the Born This Way foundations. 
They each grabbed fistful after fistful of them and shoved them into a fake Louis Vuitton bag. The PIO asked crime analyst Diana Smith if she was sure that the Louis was a fake, and crime analyst Diana Smith responded, Oh, honey, these are the South Lake police interactions you just can't make up. <laughs> Both thieves looked super shady as they concealed the concealers, taking turns as lookout and ganker. (laughs) All in all, they covered up 46 different two-faced branded foundations valued at $1,970. Yeah, two-faced makeup is expensive. Which puts them at a class A misdemeanor, and that's nothing to blush at. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. The first bad girl looked to be in her early 30s, but if you see her now with all that foundation on, she could look considerably younger. (laughs) She wore an unzipped gray jacket with a black shirt under it, light colored pants, and black sandals. The second thief looked later 30s. Again, might look different as makeup is a deceptive time machine. (laughs) Wore a black zipped up jacket, black pants, and also had medium length dark hair. Her black jacket was a Donkey Kong New York DKNY <laughs> brand. So she's poor Donna Karen. So she's probably pumped like we are for the new upcoming Mario movie. <laughs> After passing all of the registers without paying, they got into a light colored passenger van, maybe blue and skedaddled. No, we didn't get the license plate. Maybe they're born with it. Maybe they're petty thieves. If you recognize either one of these shoplifters, please contact crime analyst Diana Smith. As always, you can contact us through our social channels, Get to Work Gumshoes. I just love them. I love their writer. I hope that he makes it big someday doing other writing things because he or she are clearly very talented. There was one posted just the other day that I actually thought was brilliant for the podcast, but... The pictures were really where it was at, so I shared it for our to our Patreon I saw it group and loved it. She looked you gorgeous. Needed, you needed the pictures. I mean, you did in order to understand the whole post. But yeah. just basically, what it was was this beautiful woman dressed in her best Catwoman outfit with a oh. lovely black, um, like beachgoer hat. But oh. she was she was what did they say on the post? Dressed dressed for. Um, Oh gosh, I'm ruining it. Anyway, <laughs> but they they were saying like she was dressed to steal, you know, oh, yeah. but they were much more quippy with their words. Um and she but she was a thief. She yeah. was stealing stuff, but she looked so gorgeous doing She's it. So, you never know. Never. She had, I mean, heels, everything. Black cat suit. It's like the little old couple from Dirty Dancing at Kellerman's that were stealing all the jewelry. You That's know, true. sometimes it's the people you least suspect. They're the ones that are dressed to the nines that look like they can afford it. Everything, and they yep. are just looking for that attention. The thrill. Yes. The thrill the of thrill stealing $2,000 mm-hmm. worth of foundation. Yes. <laughs> so. Listen, makeup is hard. It is expensive. And, you know, society's pressure for women to look so perfect these days. That's I blame right. society. Listen, when I go in to my local Walgreens and look at my oil of Olay that I want to put on because it's got my glycolic acid and stuff for my wrinkles, and that bitch is up to 60 bucks a jar. I know. No, yeah, I'm not going to justify that they stole it, but I'm just saying. Right. The average woman's going to have wrinkles. You're going to be able to tell who's got a better paycheck just by their forehead. Just by their face. Just by their forehead. Yep. Oh, you got that expensive makeup. Okay. (laughs) Got yourself a sugar daddy. When it's cheaper to get Botox than buy face cream, this is when we have a problem. That's true. That's a good point. (laughs) I can go around Uh, the corner in the back alley and get a couple shots in my forehead. (laughs) 
but nobody is selling concealer on the black <laughs> on market. The black market. Yep. Yeah, that's funny. All right, guys. Oh. Well, we hope you enjoyed the story. Yes. Um, we certainly did. Oh, yes. And until next time. Yep. Keep it curious. Keep listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.